All right. Good morning, everybody. Good to have you all here this morning. Doesn't it seem like there's a Seinfeld clip for everything? Like, no matter what the theme is, the show about nothing has something to say about everything, including stress and worry. Now, chances are, unlike our friend George, we don't have to act stressed out to be stressed out. There are plenty of things in our lives that bring about worry and stress and stress. And so as I'm talking with people and meeting with people throughout the week, they're not having to act it out or pretend like they're busy or stressed. We just are. There's usually not a week that goes by that I don't hear somebody say in the course of normal, everyday conversation, I am so overwhelmed. I am so stressed. I am so worried about so many things. There are so many things going on. Things have been so crazy at fill-in-the-blank lately. Things have been so crazy at work lately. Things have been so crazy at school recently. Things have been so crazy with the kids recently. Are things ever just normal? It doesn't seem like it, and maybe you can relate to that. And when I say stress and when I say worry and we talk about that, I'm not just talking about bad, terrible things. It could be great, exciting things that are just really nerve-wracking, especially if you're an Iowa State fan today. It can be nerve-wracking about really good things. Have you watched Fred Hoiberg on the sideline, right? Three games in a row, right, Cyclone fans, down to the wire. If you were good enough, you'd just cream them. You wouldn't have to do that, but uh, I'm just, I have no room to talk. Uh, I'm in a state of mourning as well. But if you watch Fred on the sideline, here's the most cool, calm, collected, um, some people think good-looking man in the state, right? I don't know what about that, but you look at him, and even Fred Hoiberg gets stressed out. This seems like common stuff. This seems very normal. The stress is getting to him. If you listen to most people and you listen to the conversations we have, it's like stress and anxiety will always be a part of our lives. If, you, if you're not stressed out, something's wrong. <laughs> it's just normal to have anxiety as a constant in our lives. After all, when you think about the world that we live in is full of brokenness, it's full of people, including us, making poor decisions, unfair, terrible leaders in positions that they shouldn't be, uh, terrible bosses that we have, sickness, disease, and oftentimes circumstances that come our way that are just beyond our control. Just, la just in this last month, like in the last three to four weeks here in our community, three different people diagnosed with cancer. I hate cancer. I don't know if it gets more stressful than that, right? I don't know how many days I have left. So I'm sitting by people's hospital beds going, well, it could be a month, it could be a year, it could be 10 years, it could be a week. Boy, that puts things in perspective, doesn't it? Maybe what you brought in this morning puts that in perspective. But it's not just that. It's not just the big things, too. It's people's homes were foreclosed on. People had to go into bankruptcy. There's marital tension and stress. It would seem that life is just full of stress and anxiety all the time, so what else is there really to do? And into that crazy, messed up, unfair world steps Jesus' words from our passage today in Matthew chapter 6. And I want you to imagine, I, I like to do this from time to time, Jesus just walking in here this morning, he's probably got sandals on, holy jeans because it's church. And he walks in here and just cool, calm, and collected. 
looks you right in the eyes with whatever you brought in here this morning and says, you don't need to worry about your life. I wonder why you worry so much. I wonder why you have to be stressed out all the time. Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. <laughs> good one, Jesus. Really, really good. You know, that might have worked 2,000 years ago. Jesus, we appreciate the, the kind of calm little reflective meditation here this morning, but it is 2015, Jesus. Get with the program. Life is busy, life is stressful, it's complicated. Of course we're going to be stressed. Thanks for the pep talk, but that couldn't be more outdated and irrelevant advice. I mean, think about it. Certainly, looking at Jesus, certainly he hasn't experienced pain or busyness or exhaustion or heartache or loneliness or fear or pressure or broken relationships like I have. Or maybe he has. Maybe he's experienced all that and more. And I love the way that this is put in Hebrews 4, and I love Eugene Peterson's take on this in the message. And he says this, We don't have a priest, meaning Jesus, who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing, experienced it all. And this is how he chooses to end it. So let's walk right up to him, and get what he's ready to give. Take the mercy, accept the help. <sighs> How un-American is that? Accept help? Even for those of us in the church, accept help? Maybe Jesus experienced everything that you ever have and ever will, and he's certainly qualified to confront us this morning and to challenge us a little bit. Right in the middle of all of our stress and anxiety, Jesus says, I didn't create you to live that way. You know that that's not the way that I created you. Instead, I want you to look to me. I want you to look to me, or as the way that it's put here in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God. But before we go any further, I want you to know a couple of things. What is Jesus not saying in our passage today? First of all, he's not saying that we're never going to face potentially stressful situations. The, the world is filled with them. He isn't asking us just to live in this fairy tale la-la land where everything is fine. At the end of the passage, look at verse 34. Jesus says, don't worry. Why should we not worry? Because each day, tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. I mean, Jesus knows tomorrow might be stressful. It could be. It doesn't have to be. But there's plenty of things to worry about. Later in John 16, Jesus just comes right out and says it. In this world, you will have trouble. I guarantee it. It's not an if, it's a when. And he's not saying that to people that don't believe. He's saying it to us. Christians, followers of Jesus, you will have trouble. Not just the bad people that bad things should happen to. Us, who we think are the good people sometimes. Us. In this world, you will have trouble. Secondly, I want you to know that Jesus is not calling us to not have healthy concern for people. Some, for some of you, a pastor stands up and says, oh, Jesus says, don't worry about anything. Well, what happens when my teenage daughter goes out at midnight and I don't know where she is? Should I just be fine with that? No, absolutely not. 
You know, when people are sick and in the hospital, of course we have healthy concern for them. Scripture says, uh, carry one another's burdens. Mourn with those who mourn. We're, We're called to have healthy concern. Here's the difference. You have to look at the fruit of it. Worry leads to fear and distrust in God. Concern moves us to prayer and deeper trust. Let me say that again. Worry will always lead to fear and distrust in God. Healthy, true concern moves us to prayer and a deeper trust. What is the fruit of your concern? What is the fruit of your worry? I love how Philippians 4 puts it. You've probably heard this verse before. Paul says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And what does he promise us? The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Transcends all understanding. That means when the world says, how could you possibly not be stressed out? How could you possibly not be worried? You are in this situation. How can you possibly have peace? We can say, because I know the Prince of Peace. And he gives us and he offers us a peace that is beyond our understanding. Mean to the world, it doesn't make sense. But when you know the king of kings, it makes complete sense. And that's the offer of Jesus. It's a brand new kind of life. A life where worry and stress doesn't have to be your calling card. It doesn't have to be normal. We've been talking about that through this series. We've been in this series the last couple weeks called Get a Way Happier Life. And we've been looking at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And we're looking at what does it look like to live a life that is a kingdom life. And all of these chapters and all of these stories point to one central idea. When you start following Jesus, he gives you a brand new kind of life. Some of us think that Christianity is something that like, oh, I'm going to go to the store and buy some Christianity off the shelf, and I'm going to stick it on on the side like a piece of Velcro or something like that, and I'm just going to add it to my existing worry, stress-out life. Instead, Christianity is an entirely new kind of life. That's why sometimes in Scripture it's referred to as being born again. Like, I am not who I was. I am a brand new person. My life is being transformed, and it doesn't look like other people's because I have a completely different life. I'm living a kingdom life. And Jesus says, I didn't come to just do some touch-ups. I came to get intimately involved in every single aspect of your life, including your finances and your marriage and your relationships and your job and whatever it is that causes you stress. I'm there. I'm already there. There is something that sets us apart. You notice in the passage here in Matthew 6, Jesus says, don't be like the pagans. Don't be like the unbelievers. In that day, don't be like the surrounding nations around you. Jewish people, Israel. Don't be like them. What sets you apart is one thing. And Jesus says, you, to you today, the church, here's what sets you apart from everybody else. You have a father. You have a father. Look again at the passage. You have a father. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet, what does it say? Yet your heavenly father 
feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. And if that is how God, your Father, clothes clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? You have a father, and not just any father, but the kindest, most loving, most compassionate, powerful, faithful father in the universe. And not only has he created you, not only has he given you the breath that filled your lungs when you woke up this morning, but he knows you intimately. And he holds this world together in the palm of his hand. I mean, think about it. The, the, the birds are cute and the flowers can be pretty, but Jesus says, you're my masterpiece. And Jesus says, the next time that you start to get overwhelmed and stressed, time out, slow down, go for a walk, and just look around you. And realize that this world is not an accident that what you see around you is not formed together by some mishap or accident. This world is held together by a father that knows exactly what he's doing and knows exactly what you need. Becoming a father a few years ago and getting ready to be one again in just a few months here has opened my eyes like none other to passages like this. You read this and when you have that father's heart, it just changes the flavor of the passage. I used to read this and be like, oh, the birds and the lilies, that's cute. Eh, don't worry. But then that word father just jumped out to me. I was like, I am one of those. And some of you are as well. And whether you're a parent or not, I think this just jumps out to us. If there's anything I've learned about being a father and, and having kids that are young, it's, it's this, they are completely dependent on you. Whether they want to act like they're independent or not, they are completely dependent. They have no choice. I was thinking this week, every morning when our two-year-old Caleb wakes up, I've noticed something. He doesn't wake up, and the first thing he does is freak out. Well, let me take that back. Sometimes he does, because he's two. But normally, the first thing he's not doing is waking up, and his room is right next to, to ours, to Tiffany in my room, and he's not waking up, screaming out, Oh no! Mom and Dad, where did you go? I can't see you. I wonder if I'm going to get my chicken nuggets and fruit strips today. Where did you go? Uh, my, my Mom and Dad left me. Oh no, what if my parents don't take care of me and change my diaper and feed me and clothe me today? No, instead, all we hear around 6.30 some mornings, just a little high-pitched squeaky voice that goes, Oh, mommy. (laughs) It's exactly like this. Oh, daddy. (laughs) Caleb, ready. (laughs) And Tiffany and I go, we're not ready. (laughs) In other words, I trust you. I'm ready to go, you guys. I know that you're here, and I know you haven't left me, and I know you're always going to take care of me. No wonder that when Jesus has the opportunity to lift up an example of what living in the kingdom of God is like, he grabs a stinky, smelly kid with a high, squeaky voice, puts him up on his lap, and says, this is what it looks like to not worry. 
And somewhere along the line, you grew up and became a strong, mature, independent adult, and you forgot what it's like to trust. Oh, Daddy, I'm ready for another day. And I trust you that you're going to take care of me. Caleb, my son, is not ignorant of the world's problems. I think deep down inside, he knows there's something not right with this world. He's seen his parents fight. He's seen scary things. He's been hurt. He's been in pain. He knows there's things he could be worried about. But every time something happens, his normal reaction is to come running to one of us. Kids aren't ignorant. They just know who their father is. That's the invitation for us to live in the kingdom as followers of God, not to be ignorant and live in fairy tale land. We just know who our father is. Amen? So when it comes to responding to the circumstances of our lives, instead of a life of constant stress and worry, Jesus says, live like you are a beloved son or daughter. Meaning all the love and all the provision and all the safety and all the faithfulness of a father is yours. Jesus says in John chapter 14, I love this, verses 16 through 18, he says, And I will ask the father, and he will give you another advocate or a counselor to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth, meaning the Holy Spirit. You know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. And then Jesus says this amazing line. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. What makes you as a follower of Jesus different from everybody else around you? You have a father, and you are not an orphan. So live like it's true. I've told the core class this every year for the last five years. Christian maturity is believing who God says you are and learning to live like it's true. It's not more Bible studies. It's not more fill in the blank. It's not your church attendance. It's not how good of a prayer warrior you are. It's not if you raise your hands in worship or not. It's none of that. It's understanding and living like I am loved. I have a father and he lives inside of me. He could not be closer to me. If you're feeling disconnected from God today, he hasn't left. He will never leave you, and he will never forsake you. Which means that sometimes, like orphans do, when the storms of life come our way, instead of living like a beloved child, when anxiety creeps in, we, we, don't, we don't cower in stress or isolate ourselves like we're alone. Some of you are saying, John, that's not the image of a father that I have. That's not my story. And Jesus says, I know. I came to rewrite your story. Some of you had terrible, broken, non-existent relationships with your father. Some of you, it's just not intimate. It's not what you want it to be. And God says, let me be your father. I came to rewrite your story. You are not an orphan, and you don't have to live like that when it comes to worry and stress and anxiety in your life. The truth is, the story that we believe will determine the way that we live. And some of you are not living in a story like you're holding in your Bible in front of you that says you are a beloved child of God. 
The story you live will determine the way that you live your life. If we're honest, we don't always live like that. Instead of our normal reaction being trust and prayer, maybe your life seems a little bit more like our friend Allison, who is a young mom trying to keep up with all the demands of life and kids and a husband and a house. And let's just say she might need some stress relief. Let's take a look. I'm sure none of you can possibly relate to that at all. So why do I feel this way? I know that I have a father that loves me. I know that he's never going to leave me. I have breath in my lungs today. I'm alive. So why do I feel this way? So why do I feel this way? I'm sure we've all asked that at one time or another why does life seem to be so much sometimes? Now, maybe that's a bit extre extreme, but if you notice, she was blogging. She wasn't actually saying that out loud, minus the, the uh, unfortunate car scene with the newlyweds, but it was in her head. And most of stress and anxiety we keep in our head. That's the problem with worry, is that it's silent, and yet it's destructive. If I stood up here today and said, who, who is against, like, physical abuse, Right? you'd probably all raise your hands, right? If you're not, something's wrong. How about the abuse that stress does on your heart and mind? Oh, I don't know. I didn't really think about that. Jesus says, I want you to be a whole person. I care about your whole body. Jesus is not saying in Matthew chapter 6, don't worry, be happy. That's the Jamaicans, okay? Last time I checked, Jesus wasn't Jamaican. He's also not in the Lion King and just say Akuna Matata and everything's fine, right? We've watched that 8 million times in our house this past week. Jesus isn't saying that. Jesus isn't saying, don't worry, be happy. He's saying, I want to give you a peace that is deeper than anything that's going to come your way because of the violence that stress does to your heart and your mind. You were not created to withstand that day after day as a way of life. And it's not just stay-at-home moms. It's all of us. In fact, I came across some interesting facts. I was doing a little research this week, looking up some stats on, on the Google, because that's what I do. The percent of people who regularly experience, this is a 2014 survey, the percent of people who regularly experience physical symptoms caused by stress, 77%. Percent of people who regularly experience psychological Symptoms caused by stress, 73%. Percent of people who say they are living with extreme stress, 40%. Percent of people that feel like stress had, their stress has increased over the last five years, 50%. Cited money and work as the leading cause of their stress, 76%. Percent reported lying awake most nights due to stress, 51%. Percent who said stress has caused them to fight and be at odds with the people they love the most, 55%. That's one out of two of us here this morning. Percent of people reported being alienated from a friend or family member because of stress, 34%. The annual cost to employers for stress-related health care and missed work, $300 billion. Maybe Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 6 are not so irrelevant after all.
we haven't exactly got this figured out, have we? Some of you are dying to know the answer. But here's the common responses that I see us having. If we could just have a little bit more hope and a little bit more peace and a little bit more joy. How do you respond when life throws curveballs your way? When there are potentially stressful situations? If we're honest, if I'm honest with myself and what I see around me, I see three common responses, three sort of coping mechanisms that I see that we attempt to replace the peace that Jesus is offering, that we attempt to do. And the problem is they're neither biblical, they're neither healthy, nor are they realistic. We are calling them false narratives. We talked about the true narrative, that we're not orphans, we have a father. These are false narratives. And the first one, I will just call this the target. The target. You ever met somebody that just kind of seems like they're walking around with a target on their back all the time? It's the victim response. It's the victim response. Everybody say victim. And like you've got a target on your back. Ever? I, I don't know if you've ever had a conversation with someone who's just telling you everything that they're struggling with or something went wrong, and it's almost like the default response every single time is, I can't believe it. I just can't believe it. How could this happen to me? I mean, I mean, of anyone, why me? Why us? Why now? This couldn't be more terrible timing. I am a victim of life. And don't get me wrong, we all need a safe place to air our grievances and our frustrations and to share our shock and our pain. The question is, do you ever move on from being the victim and do you ever move on to trust? Do you ever invite God in for healing? The problem with the victim response is that it's based on a narrative, and we would never say this out loud, but this is what's running through our head when we respond like a victim. Man, I thought life was supposed to be easy. I thought when I started following Jesus, things were going to get better. I thought Jesus was going to fix all my problems and life was going to be pain-free or go even deeper. It's like the world's out to get me. Or even deeper, I think God's out to get me. I've actually heard people say that. I think God is out to get me. I think he's against me. The problem with the victim mentality is that it just steals your joy. And it never leads to life. Now I'm not going to be able to get it off. So it's not that. Well, if that approach doesn't work, maybe, aha! The next approach to stress, the controller. I'm not a victim. I just try to control everything, right? If you think about it, what is at the root of most of our stress? It's control. We feel out of control. So we think that stressing about it is going to change things. If we could control everything, then I wouldn't have to worry. Or if we could control everything, we'd be God. Ooh, that's scary. No, I don't think I'm God. So often the controller is just a little bit more subtle than that. Often I'll hear people, well-intentioned, good-meaning Christians say things like, John, I, Pastor John, I've been working really hard lately. I've been trying to make really good choices. I've, I've been to church a lot. I've prayed a lot. I, I, I've tried to help God out, you know, and do my part. But things aren't changing. I push, the, I push the God work button, and it's not working. I did all these things for you, God. I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. The problem is that's not in the Bible. God doesn't work like that. He's not a vending machine. He's not a remote control. 
Or we think, oh, only bad things happen to bad people. But that couldn't be farther from the truth either because Scripture says that the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. So if we can't control God, then what we end up doing is trying to control the things that we can, and that's numbing our own pain, and so we'll turn to whatever we need. Substances, relationships that are broken, messed up, pleasure, whatever it is. But the problem with all that and the trying to control things, it just leaves us more empty and stressed out. Those things are never going to fill you up. And some of you keep running back and back and back and over and over again, and it's an empty well. And it's never going to satisfy you. The controller doesn't work either. Well, if those responses don't work, then our final response is like swinging to the other extreme. If I can't control things, then we get the worrier. Everybody say worrier. And it's attractive because worrying gives us the illusion of control. I heard somebody say once, worry is a lot like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere. And some of us live our whole lives like that. You've either been this person, I've been this person, or you know this person. Life is one giant mistake waiting to happen. It is a danger waiting to happen. It's, it's like Allison here in the video, right? What if my kids drink the, the 409 cleaning solution? They could die, and then they'll get taken away, and everything will be bad. It's, it's the worst possible thing that could happen. Anything that could go wrong will go wrong. And it seems caring, but the worrier also steals your joy. And what happens is that we end up walking through life instead of a great adventure. When we live the stressful, worried life, we get on our Olympic-sized balance beam up here. And we say, oh, man, if anything can go wrong, it will go wrong. Kids, don't take too many risks. Don't do anything too wild or crazy in your marriage. Oh, man, I'm so worried. What if I don't meet somebody to spend the rest of my life with? What if I don't get the job that I want? What if I don't get the salary that I want? What if things don't always go my way? Oh, no! Except that balance beam seems a lot higher when you're in the middle of it, doesn't it? If you notice, where were my eyes the whole time? Down. I was concentrating on what? Not falling. You ever watch the Olympics and you've seen somebody actually do this? It's like legit. <laughs> when you watch those girls, where are, their, where are their eyes? Somewhere on a fixed point out there. When Peter was walking on the water towards Jesus, why did he fall? He took his eyes off of Jesus. He was so focused on not falling. That's been me for most of my life. Jesus was concerned about a lot of things. Some of you are saying, well, John, there's a lot of things I'm, I'm stressed and worried about. There's a big difference between concern and worry. Jesus was really busy. Jesus was concerned about a lot of things. He's concerned about you. But he was never stressed. And the difference between concern and being stressed out is a condition of the soul. Can you say this morning, it is well with my soul. My life is a mess. <laughs> things are not perfect. There are so many unknowns. I have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow, but it is well with my soul. And I believe that in the deepest part of my being. I was meeting with a mentor of mine a couple years ago, and I was just 
rattling off all the things I'm stressed about and this could go wrong. I, I was the balance beam guy. I was the worrier, going back and forth, living my life like that. And I'm telling him all the things that I could be stressed about and over and over and over again. And he spent enough time with me that he's seen a pattern here. And I said, man, I said, it always seems like like I get to one part of the mountain, I get to one cliff, and then like there's another one. It's just never going to end. And he just says, John, time out. I was like, and he looked me right in the eyes with this loving and yet challenging look. And he said, John, you do know there's always going to be one more thing, right? You do know this side of heaven, there's always going to be one more mountain ahead of you. You're never going to get to that point. Because what I was telling is, oh, if I could just get through this, if I could just get our kids uh, a school age, if I could just have a family, if I could just get married, if I could just find a job, if I could just get that raise, whatever it is for you, that next thing, then I won't worry anymore. And Jesus says, yeah, right. (laughs) I know your pattern. Maybe life in the kingdom is far less about avoiding difficulty and it's way more about learning to trust in the middle of the storm. And if you're like me and if you're a worrier, some of you need to hear this morning. Life is not a problem to be solved. It's an adventure to be lived. Get off the balance beam. Get your joy back. Joy, not necessarily happiness that's based on circumstances, but joy. Where do you go for peace? And here's the thing. Some of you will go home and say, Pastor John told me not to stress. He told me to seek that peace, and so I'm going to go. And here's the thing. Modern counseling and the Bible are very different how they approach this, and I want to caution you, and I want you to be very careful because we can say, oh, this spirit and that spirit, and find your inner peace, and, and go and just meditate and reflect, and everything will be great. If you're trying to seek peace apart from the one who is peace, something's wrong, and it can be very dangerous because you're never going to find it apart from Jesus Christ, amen? He is the Prince of Peace. So unless Jesus is at the center of whatever you're doing, don't go there. There is an inner peace to be found, but it's not in you. It's not by listening to Oprah or Dr. Phil or reading your favorite horoscope or magazine. You're never going to find it. It's the spirit of the living God that is inside of you, that is your Father, that you can go to anytime, anywhere, and it's enough. It's enough. You don't have to run anywhere else looking for inner peace or healing. He's the only one that can heal you. He's the only one that can do it. I've seen it. I've seen the difference. I've been in hospital rooms. Last month, I was in two different rooms within a week each other on on the same floor at Methodist. Both saying goodbye to their parents. And the whole family's gathered around. Man, they need some peace. They need some comfort. And I'm the pastor, so I'm supposed to bring it. (laughs) Or I can just sit there and cry with them. That's what I did. We were both weeping, both rooms crying, both rooms grandkids walking in to say goodbye to their grandpa. (laughs) And yet one room, there is just this overwhelming sense of hope in the face of death, the thing that we should be most worried about, 
and there's people laughing. And then we cry. And then we laugh. And then we tell stories. And then we pray. And then we read some scripture. And there's just this overwhelming sense of hope that this is not the end of your story. And then I walk down the hall the other week to the other room, and it's just sadness. There's sadness there too. But here there's no hope. Because we're trying to find our peace everywhere else. And your horoscope doesn't do much in the face of death. Jesus says, I have conquered your sin, your death, and the power of hell. Don't you think I can take care of Monday morning? Don't you think that I can take care of your finances? Don't you think that I can take care of your marriage? Don't you think that I can take care of your unemployment? Whatever it is. Some of you just need to hear this this morning. You need to hear your father say to you, don't give up. Don't ever give up. Keep the faith. You're gonna make it. Whatever's going on, you're gonna make it. You're not an orphan. Romans 8 says this, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear. Rather, the spirit that you receive, that one true spirit, not any other spirit, the spirit that lives inside of you, brings about your adoption to sonship as a son or daughter. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. If you were here a few weeks ago, what does Abba mean? Dad, Daddy, we have a father. Which means I don't have to play the victim. And I don't have to try to control everything. And thank God I can get off the balance beam. When all the world's answers fall short, followers of Jesus say, Lord, I need you. It's the song we sang this morning. And as we watch this final clip, let your heart open up a little bit. Say, Lord, I need you. Let's take a look. So no matter what you brought in here this morning, big or small, deep pain, you were never meant to do it alone. You know, in the announcements, we uh, mentioned this brochure and some of you are like, oh, another brochure. You know that you don't have to do it alone, right? You do know that. This is about care and this is about prayer and it's about being the church. And if we know that Father, let's come to him on behalf of each other and for one another to both give and receive care and prayer. Some of you need to be on our care team because God's given you that gift to care for people. Some of you need to be on our prayer team because God's given you that gift. And I've said it once, I've said it a million times. I think it'd be awesome if every single one of us came up for prayer. I get to know the God of the universe, I get to know him as Father and receive his love and receive his grace and receive his healing. No matter if there's something great going on in your life or something terrible, we can pray for the cyclones. We can pray for anything. We can pray for whatever is on your heart. Why so little faith? Trust me. Trust me, your Savior says. Let's stand and let's pray together.